Hey guys, I'm doing another podcast. Um, this is right after the 76ers and uh, the Lakers just played. You know, that was a great game. I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. And, you know, the 76ers won, and I was really hoping that they lost. Not because I had, like, any money on the game. Not because, you know, I'm this, like, big Lakers fan and I want, you know, the Lakers to win every game. But just because it would have been very, very funny. You know, the Lakers, you know, I think it was like, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was 100 to 86 with like three minutes left. And the Lakers went on like a, like a 13-0 run, maybe even like a 15-0 run. So, you know, if that's how they ended the game, that would have been hilarious. Uh, Tobias Harris went in on the other end. You know, he had a pretty good game. Uh, you know, he had 24 and 7. You know, 10 or 16 shooting. He was pretty good. Um, and the thing I liked about this game was, you know, this is it's just a regular season game, but you can see that these teams wanted to send a message. You know, the 76ers more so than the Lakers because... The Lakers are already champions and all that. But, you know, the 76ers, you know, Ben played 39 minutes. Joel played 37 and a half. Uh, Tobias and Danny Green both played 36. So, and on the other hand, LeBron played 38. And, uh, you know, LeBron played excellent. Uh, I, I really like Caruso. And you can see how important he is to them because... You know, even today, you know, in the closing lineup, they went with that Dennis Caruso, KCP, LeBron, AD, and you know, I've done a I've done an episode about this already. I don't I don't like Dennis as a starter there, and I and I still think it diminishes what he can provide for a team. You know, you have LeBron in there. LeBron has the ball a lot, and you know, a lot of times Dennis is just. He, he gets the ball up, he gives it to LeBron, he goes stands in the corner. You know, he'll run, like, the occasional pick and roll. You know, sometimes they'll inbound the ball to LeBron and he'll throw it up to Dennis and, you know, turn to, like, a ball screen or whatever. And um, so I, I still think... I'm, not, I'm still not the biggest fan of the lineup. And if you look at Dennis's numbers, you know, he's averaging less minutes than last year. He's averaging less points than last year. And his shooting worse from the field and three and the free throw line from last year. So, you know, he's not, he hasn't been as good as he was last year off the bench. And I'm not sure if his value is going up. You know, I'm sure he thought, you know, LeBron was going to take it easy. You know, I was going to get to run a lot of ball screens with me, AD, me and LeBron. And I'm going to average 18, 20 points, do it efficiently because, you know, LeBron and AD are getting so much uh, of the attention. I'm just going to get wide open looks and all that. And he's only shooting like 41%, like 30 from three. You know, the free throw, like I'm not that worried about. It's like, I think last year was like 82%. It's at 78 now. But, you know, he's averaging like 14 points last year. He was at like 18 and a half, 19, maybe even 20. And, um, yeah, you know, I I still think the best version of this team is him off the bench. 
and you know him closing games if he's you know on fire or something and um what else uh it it does appear that you know this, this really was more so like they wanted to win like the Lakers wanted to win the game at the end but it did look like they were still trying out a lot of things in this game you know they didn't play mark very heavy minutes you know they let um you know Harold was useless in this game really and um you know that makes sense like you know Embiid's big he, he can't really do much against him but it like in the playoffs if these two teams are playing in the finals i don't think you're going to see any minutes where Harrell is in when Embiid is in as well and Harrell is guarding Embiid i think if Harrell is in uh he's usually going to play with uh he's he's going to play if when Embiid's not in or he's going to play next to AD and AD would be guarding Embiid you know, Embiid got eighty a couple times on uh, uh, you know, he faced him up and you know just kind of bullied his way to the rim and got that a couple of times. And I do think eighty probably is a little too small for Embiid. Like Embiid, I don't think Embiid looks at Anthony Davis and is like, you know, I, you know, that's it's a bad matchup. You know, I can't get by him. I can't do anything. I do think Embiid wouldn't have that big of a problem. Um, you know, that's one of the differences between Anthony Davis. And you know, a lot of people, not a lot, I guess, some people compare him to, like, Tim Duncan. And I don't think Anthony Davis has the strength that Tim Duncan did or, like, the rim protection like Tim Duncan did. And, you know, we saw it in the playoffs where, you know, Jokic, he got the ball 18 feet out, Anthony Davis guarding him. And, you know, he just put Anthony Davis under the basket for like um to tie the game like that like 80 is 80 is very strong but he's not that strong and you know uh, last year as well when uh the Bucks and the Lakers played in LA you know 80 started the game on Giannis and Giannis kind of bullied him you know Giannis had like 10 straight points you know he was moving 80 the fuck out of the way and I don't think I don't think Giannis is that much I don't even think Giannis is like that much stronger than Anthony Davis, but he is like right on that tier, and I can't I can't see that happening to like Tim Duncan though. Like I don't think Jokic or Embiid would just easily bully Tim Duncan. Um, you know, Eddie's more so like a Kevin Garnett, but I don't think he's. I think it, I think KG was I think KG is probably a top three four defender of all time. And uh, it, KG, he was a little bit longer. And I think he was just, his anticipation and instincts were better than Anthony Davis. Even though they did similar things. Like, I think Jokic, Jokic and Embiid, I think would be able to, like, move Kevin Garnett. But I think, I don't think it would have been as, easily as they did with Anthony Davis. I think just because he's so much longer than AD, even though AD's incredibly long as well. And um, what else What else happened in this game? Uh, LeBron looks incredible. I think I already mentioned that. You know, I think he I think he really is trying to put like a MVP campaign on. And I think a lot... They're playing Detroit tomorrow. 
and it's a back-to-back. So I, I want if I think if he doesn't play, it kind of shows that maybe this isn't an MVP campaign for him. But if he does play, I do think he is trying to go for the MVP this year because, you know, a lot of players are going to miss games. You know, Kevin Durant's playing incredible, but he's already missed like five, six games or something. Um, Kawhi's missed a couple games. Embiid's missed a couple games. Uh, you know, the only other player, the only other superstar that's in the MVP conversation that hasn't is, you know, Jokic. So, you know, if Le- Le- LeBron has it, I don't think LeBron's missed any games. So, you know, if he's playing tomorrow, you'd see, you know, he might just get like a 27 and 8. But that does matter that he played the game still. Um, what else? Uh, you can see that the Lakers still are not um, completely in sync yet because when they got the stop at the end, you know, they brought the ball up. I think like seven seconds went by, and then they called the timeout for the last play. And I think near the end of the season or once they're fully gelled, I don't even think they're going to need to call that timeout to get into that set. Uh, you know, the set is something that LeBron's been running for like five, six years now. You know, it used to be with Kevin Love and Channing Frye, where it's uh, LeBron gets the ball on the wing. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's kind of like post. He's not posting up, but like he's got his back turned to the defender and he's looking at what's going on. And like, so the small, in this case, it was uh, Dennis. He would go set a, uh, yeah, so Dennis, and AD's in the corner, Embiid's uh, guarding him, uh, Dennis has a small on him, so he goes to set a screen on AD. Now, in this, you know, like, Embiid's a big, he's not used to running over screens and stuff like that. AD just curls around and gets a layup. Other times what happens is they'll go, um, it depends really on, how Dennis sets that screen because and it also depends on how the big in this case Embiid is playing Anthony Davis you know he was playing him straight up and so Dennis set the screen and AD just curled around and got an easy layup um other times he sets uh, Dennis would set the screen um on the back side and AD does like a backdoor cut like that other times, the way he sets it, like in front of, I don't know how to describe it. Um, he sets it sideways almost, like the screen, and Anthony Davis pops out for a three. So, you know, they have a lot of variations with that. They used to do that with uh, Kevin Love a lot. Um, I want to see that more with, um, like, LeBron in the corner and, like, him getting the screen. I want to see that a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, so they, they had to take a timeout to set that play up. And what happened was they did that. The 76ers called a timeout. Uh, Tobias hit a, I think it was like a step back two from like 10 feet out maybe over, I think, Caruso. And it was only two seconds up. But the thing is, so they called the timeout to run that play with AD. And now they have no timeouts left. So they have to like throw the ball up. Anthony Davis tries flopping for, like, a foul call. doesn't get called. And, uh, yeah, it was a great game. Really enjoyed that. 
let me see if anything. I think, I think the 76ers are really going to regret not trading for James Harden because Ben Simmons is the exact same player he's always been, and I think that's going to really cost them in the playoffs. Like, in the regular season, doesn't hurt a lot. But if Ben Simmons is your second-best player, and we've seen what happens to him in the playoffs, once he gets to that second round, I think he averages, like, 12 points, you know, seven rebounds, six assists, uh, like, four-and-a-half turnovers. Like, it's not good. And it's because he can't shoot. So, like, you know, teams are just 10 feet off of him. And they don't really – they have to game plan from a little bit, but not a lot. And they can just focus on Embiid. And it, it kind of forces I – don't, I don't, maybe it doesn't matter if Tobias Harris is now, like, good enough to be your second guy. Because if he's good enough to be that second guy – that put that pushes Ben Simmons down to third, which, like, that's fine then. Like, it's not a big deal. But I don't know if Tobias is that guy. You know, he show, he was that guy today. But I don't know if he can consistently be that guy, um, be that second scoring option. Um, but if he is, then, yeah, you know, the 76ers have a good chance. But I do think if I were dumb and I see how Embiid's playing now, I think I would regret not trading for James Harden. And just some final thoughts on this game. Are, you know, when the Lakers won and coming into this season, you know, there was a lot of Anthony Davis hype. And, you know, I'm a big Anthony Davis fan. I've been a big Anthony Davis fan ever since, uh, you know, he was at Kentucky. And there was a lot of talk about how you know, this title is really going to take AD to the next level. You know, there's a pressure off of him. You know, he's just going to play comfortably. And he looks like he hasn't touched a basketball the entire, like, 70 days that we're off. And he's just figuring things out on offense because he's shooting, like, 70% from the free throw line. They lost by one, and he missed two free throws in the fourth quarter. His mid-range jumper is not going in at all like it did in the playoffs. Um, and I think he went 4 for 10 at the free throw line, maybe 5 for 10 at the free throw line. Like He shot 85% at the free throw line last year. So he looks like he hasn't, like offensively, he, does, he just doesn't look like, he looks like he needs like another month or two or three to like really get going because he, offensively, he just doesn't, he just doesn't have it right now. Like, there were a couple times where he's posting up, and he just didn't have any idea what to do. You know, he took, like, some weird fadeaways. Uh, he took he takes a lot of step-back jumpers from the post, and he's not going to the rim as much. Uh, he's only getting to the free throw line, like, five times a game for the season. You know, he got there ten times today, but, like, for the entire season, it's, like, 5.4 or 5.5 times a game. Uh so that's been a little disappointing. I really thought um, that he was going to take a big step. and uh, But I'm not – I don't think it's a concern or anything, you know, because this is the regular season. Like, this is a time for him to figure things out and get going. So it's not worrisome for the Lakers at all. 
it's just um, you know, I, I, it's just you know, we all thought AD was going to be you know the guy while LeBron takes like a step back this year. And uh, the other final thought, I maybe the final thought, I don't know, I talk a lot, is that if if like even though I don't think Dennis as a starter, Dennis as a, the one of the closing players is the best uh, is the best for this team. I think if they're going to make it work, Dennis has to stop deferring to LeBron so much uh, throughout the game. Like, yeah, defer to him at the end of quarters. You know, at the end of the game, yeah, give LeBron James the fucking ball and, you know, go stand in the corner. But he defers to LeBron way too much, like, most of the game. And I get it. Like, that's LeBron. Like, you want to give him the ball. You want to let him do everything. But, like, to utilize yourself, to utilize, you know, what you can do, you know, you got to you gotta take, you got to be more aggressive. And, like, in this game, in the first half, he was not aggressive at all. In the second half, like, he was very aggressive and he played really well. And I just think if if it's going to work with him as a starter, he can't be averaging 14 points a game. He's got to be in that 18 or 20. You know, he's got to make up, like, the value that someone else would provide by, you know, scoring more. You know, just 14 points isn't enough. Um, what other thoughts do I have? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it for this game. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, surprising teams and players, you know, good and bad. Uh, I'm going to start with the players first. So my first player is Russell Westbrook. You know, Russ has always been a very polarizing player. Even at his peak, even at his prime, he was, you know, there was there was questions about how good is he? How good how good is he really? Because he put, he put up, like, the big numbers. But there were questions about his game. And I would say I'm actually, a, like, of his prime. I've been a defender, and I, I am a fan of Russ. You know, Russ's prime, I am a fan of it. You know, he had like a, I would say a three, four year stretch where I thought he was good enough to be the number one on a championship team. Like, um, I think it was 2015 where Katie had the Jones fracture and Russ, you know, that's the year where he averaged like 28, eight and nine or something like that. And, um, I think that's the first year where he was a superstar. And then 2016, I thought he played extremely well. You know, he finished even higher than KD, you know, for the MVP. And in the playoffs, I thought he outperformed KD as well. You know, KD was fucking garbage in the 2016 playoffs, but no one wants to talk about that. Uh, 2017, you know, he was the MVP. Uh, 2018, I think, is pretty close. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I, w- I would give him that year as well as a true superstar. So I would say he had four ye- he had a four-year stretch where I think he was good enough to be the a number one on a true contender. 
would he be like my first choice? No. But I do think you could have put a true contender around him and, you know, there like it wouldn't be uh, impossible to imagine that team uh, holding up the trophy at the end of the season. But if you look at Russ since 2017, really, you know, he's declined every year. And the big decline really was, you know, okay, so they got Paul George in 2018. They got Carmelo. So, you know, his numbers took a little bit of a dip, but that was because he was sharing the ball with other people, you know, specifically Paul George. And the thing, the thing, you know, it's hard to tell what the drop-off is there when the reason for the drop-off is, you know, you're sharing the ball. So you obviously you're not averaging as many points. Uh, but one of the one of the things that you could point to and go, okay, that's interesting. You know, that's, that's interesting. It was that in 2016, he was a 81% free throw shooter. In 2017, he was 85% at the free throw line. In 2018, he was 74%, so he dropped off by 10%. In 2019, he was 66%, he was 65.6%. So he dropped off like another 85 9%. Uh, you know, he stepped it up last year in Houston. He was up 76%. And now he's back to 62%. You know, for his career, is 80%. If you look at his first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, eight of his first nine seasons, he's shooting above 80%, yeah, 80 or above, you know, only one season where he shot uh, 78%. So his free throw shooting, that was a big, like, what the fuck's going on here? And if you look at his game, like, he's gotten worse every year since that MVP season. You know, he was... uh, 32, 11, and 10. And then he was 25, 10, and 10. But, you know, like I mentioned, the free throw shooting, the three-point shooting, um, you know, that all went down. 2019, you know, points went points went down again, 23 points again. You know, he still got the triple-double, but 66% from the line, 42% from the field. And people said, you know, this was the Paul George... MVP caliber season and people were like you know he's sharing the ball look at him share the ball. he was taking 20 fucking shots a game he was taking 20 shots a game you know only averaging 23 points that's not good at all that's not like him giving the ball up you know his usage went down but usage is a pretty flawed stat where it's not really about how much you have the ball it's about uh, how much you shot the ball and how many turnovers and things like that so, like someone like uh, like Rondo, like Rondo, like I'm a I'm a huge Rondo fan. He's probably my, you know, Celtics Rondo is probably my favorite point guard ever. But you know, he dribbled the fuck out of the ball. But if you look at his usage, it's only twenty, it's only eighteen, it's only twenty one, twenty one, twenty one. You know, I sound like twenty one savage. But anyways, like, but he held the ball just as much as like I would say like a Russ. But the difference was he didn't shoot it. You know, he wasn't turning it over like this, so it doesn't go in the usage rate. Um, and last year, like, he made All-NBA second team, and he was tremendous in the second half. But 
if you I don't I didn't think he was that good. You know, he averaged twenty seven, eight and seven, but you know, he's averaging seven assists and almost five turnovers a game. And the reason he got and his um like true shooting was still only like a point five three six, which is below league average. And now he's at a point four 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 true shooting, which is like ten percent below league I think twelve percent below league average. He's got a PER which, you know, a pretty flat stat as well, of twelve. Which is the lowest of his career. You know, his win shares are a negative, once again, lowest of his career. His offensive uh, box plus minus is the lowest. It's a negative 1.4, lowest of his career. His defensive box box plus minus is a negative 1.8, lowest of his career. Box plus minus is a negative 3.2, lowest of his career. And if you look at his shooting, like his um, field goal percentage from like certain distances, he's not getting to the rim at all for his career. He's 35%, like 35% of his shots come right at the rim. This year, he's at 16%. So uh, in Houston last year, it was 42%. The year before, it was 36%. The year before, it was 38%. So this year, he's getting there uh, twice as less. Almost, uh, yeah, twice as less. And he's taking way more mid-range shots, like even more than he normally did. You know, normally he would take around 30% of his shots of mid-range. This year, it's up to 45%. And that's just crazy. Um, He's still finishing at the rim really well, which is what's shocking. It's like, why are you taking so many mid-range shots? Maybe he just can't get to the rim anymore. Maybe that's what it is. But he still looks looks plenty quick. But I I think it's probably more so that teams are giving him so much space that he can't get to the rim. I think that that's probably what it is. Because uh, when he gets to the rim, he's still finishing elite. And, um, yeah, you know, it's very sad to see it. I, th- I, I really don't like watching Russ, I Russ right now. You know, I've been a big defender of his. You know, I, I always defended him, you know, in OKC. Uh, even when he was taking, like, the 90 shots in two games... You know, I didn't mind it because I, I remember the game exactly. It was Utah game five and game six. And in game five, they were down big. And that third quarter, he just exploded. You know, it was like no one was stepping up. We're down big. Everyone's going to blame me anyway. So, yeah, let me fucking fire these shots up. And they went in. And, you know, uh, what's his name? Paul George also stepped up in that third quarter. And Russ had no problem giving him the ball as well. So it wasn't just that, you know, he was, you know, chucking all these shots up and, you know, not passing it to anyone. Like when Paul George started making shots, he gave him the ball too. And then in game six, he also took like 40 shots. And I had no problem with that either because Paul George was legitimately like two for 19 in that game. Carmelo was unplayable. Steven Adams, like he's... He's like a whole maybe two tiers below Rudy Gobert and was just getting dominated. You know, they didn't have Andre Roberson uh, to guard Donovan Mitchell. So Russ was like, all right, you guys are going to blame me for this shit anyways. You know, PG's not stepping up. I got to do this shit, so I'm going to do it. And yeah, so I, I didn't have a problem with him taking all those shots back then either. 
And I think if you watch a lot of the early playoff games with um, the Thunder when it was uh, him and KD together, you know, people blamed Russ for taking some of those, like, late shot clock uh, jumpers, you know, not getting the ball to KD. But, like, if you watch it, KD does nothing to get open. Like, they run the play. Like, if you watch the Memphis series in particular, like, so they get the ball up, you know, it's like, 19 seconds left you know they run a play uh you know maybe katie gets like two pin downs you know tony allen's on him and it's like 12 seconds left now and tony allen's just bullying him like he's just moving him out the fucking paint like he's doing whatever he wants and katie does nothing to like get open so it's like yeah now it's like four seconds left russ has to take the jumper I'm not absolving Russ of all the bad things, like all the bad shots and all the bad turnovers, but like some, like a lot of it is more understandable than I think what people give him credit for. You know, I think they unfairly uh, blame like most of the failures on him when really it's, it was a lot of injuries. There's a lot of injuries and Kevin Durant deserves a lot of fault for the Thunder not winning a title either. Like, I don't think... And I don't think anyone's ever going to blame him because they love blaming Russ so much. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it has not been fun watching Russ this season. You know, I didn't think, I didn't think the drop off would be happening like this, this soon, just because he was so good last, not so good. He was really good last season, but not, I didn't think he was all NBA good, but he was really good. He was really good last season, and I thought it was going to continue this season. Especially because the the Wizards had a lot of spacing with uh, you know Beal, Danny, uh, Bertons, uh, Thomas Bryant who's out for the year now. But you know when they had him, they still weren't good. He still wasn't good. Um, so you know that was shocking. Like that was shocking that how poorly he's played. He kind of looks like you know Allen Iverson like with the Pistons. You know, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Uh, but, you know, he's about to get paid 40 mil this year, I think. Maybe 45. I think it might be 45. 45 this year and 45 next year as well, I believe. And, um, you know, I thought the Wizards were going to be a playoff team. Um, but it looks like they're probably going to be a lottery team. And from everything I've read, you know, this year, this upcoming draft is a big-time draft, so... If I'm Bradley B, I want to see what pick we are before making any decision on, you know, I want to trade, I want I want to leave. Um, yeah, so Russell Westbrook my, was my first surprising player I wanted to talk about, you know, in terms of bad. Uh, so let's talk about a good surprising player, and that's Jalen Brown. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge Jalen Brown fan. You know, I've been a fan of his as soon as he got drafted, just because. You know, I I didn't like the way people talked about him, like the too smart thing. You know, he might have focuses, he might have interests outside of basketball. I thought, I always thought that was kind of trash, and I just I like the type of build. I like the build that he is, where he's like a six 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 seven shooting guard. And I just like that type of player, like the like the big guards. I like those. And the interesting thing about him is, he's really improved every single year. You know, his rookie year he was pretty solid. The second year, the 
Celtics traded Avery and now um, you know, J- Jalen gets to start. Uh, he goes from seven points to fifteen points. Um, you know, he shoots forty percent from three. Uh, you know, fifty-one percent from two-point range. The next year, he had the hand injury. People like forget that. But when he once he came back from the hand injury, he was excellent. You know, uh, from, he went from fifty-one percent from two-point range to fifty-three. And then last year, he was twenty points a game. He shot seventy-two percent from the free throw line. Fifty-four percent from two-point range, and now this year he's at twenty-seven points a game. Uh, shooting 77% from the free throw line, 57% from two, 44% from three. And one of the bigger improvements of his game is that he's always been more turnovers than assists. And this year he's at 3.4 assists a game, which like, like it's not something you're bragging about, but it is, an, it is a big improvement. And he's averaging 2.7 turnovers. Uh which I think great, but like his usage is higher now, and it's not the you know one to one ratio that it used to be. And the biggest improvement in his game is the handle. You know, it's been improving steadily, but this year it's just like gone to another level. And you know, before when he caught it and he went, it was very north south. Like you knew he was gonna like like train wreck his way to the rim and now he's got like some wiggle to his handles you know he can go north south and he can also go east west like he's got that wiggle you know he can shake people off of him you know his off the dribble game is just insane now like his mid-range game is insane and the thing is there's some players where okay so like last year Jalen shot you know 70 percent at the at the rim and he shot, I believe, 40... Let me look this up real quick. 45% from mid-range, which is, which is actually fine. Like, that's pretty good. You know, this year, he's at 53% from mid-range. And the thing is, like, when you see 45% from mid-range, 70% at the rim, 38% from three, you're just like, you know, that's just increases usage, you know? Uh, if you increase his usage, he's just going to average more points, and that's good. But there's some people that can handle a higher usage. So, like, I think if last year you increased Jalen's usage from 25 to 32, which is what it is now, I don't think he would be averaging 27 a game and, you know, finishing 70% at the rim, 45% from mid-range. I just don't think... Last year, he had the skill level to do that. This year, like, you can see, you know, his skill his, his skill has improved. And he's still, like, and his, his usage has gone higher and his skill has improved and he's playing much better that way. And I truly think that, you know, Jalen and Tatum is like a real conversation now. Like, who's better between the two? Because if you look at like just the raw numbers you know Tatum and Jalen they're both at like 27 a game you know Jalen averages like a point more Tatum averages like a rebound more and like you know Jalen averages more steals uh, Tatum a little bit higher on the assists uh, shooting wise like 
Jalen has Embiid in the field goal. They're pretty similar on three. Like Tatum is a better three-point shooter. He takes a lot more and he makes a higher percentage. But Jalen's better like inside the arc. He's always been better inside the arc, actually. He's better at the rim. Uh, he's better in the mid-range, even though Tatum takes a lot more. Uh, but I do think like it's a real conversation. Like the reason I'm saying, even though like their percentages are similar from three, that Tatum is better is like Jalen gets assisted on eighty percent of his three point attempts. Even this season, even though he's taking like a big leap, he still gets assisted on eighty percent of them. Tatum only gets assisted on forty seven percent of his threes, which is insane. So you know he's uh, taking more threes and he's making them at a slightly higher clip and he's also doing it you know with no um uh, someone someone he's doing it without someone setting him up for the three but i do think with all the improvements that jalen has made that him and tatum are like a real conversation and i think if i had to pick between one of the two i would go with jalen um so yeah jalen's my you know good surprise for the season and uh, if he's going to play like this and Tatum's going to play like he has been, I think the Celtics have a real chance of winning the title, uh, especially if Kemba comes back and he plays like a like a star, like an all-star caliber player. He doesn't even need to be like Charlotte Kemba. He just needs to be like an all-star caliber player. And, you know, watching Kemba and seeing, you know, how much of a scorer he is, I, I really wish I like Kemba's so I don't I don't know if I wish it I, I think this team would be better constructed if they had like a Kyle Lowry next to Jalen and Tatum if they had like a Drew Holiday next to Jalen and Tatum just because those two players they don't need to score to make an impact and I think Kemba needs to score to make an impact like he like kind of like he doesn't need to score, but his scoring threat is what makes the impact. Um, the other two, though, like, they they score, they assist, and they play defense. And I think if... I think I would have... In, I would enjoy watching the Celtics more if it was just the Jalen and Tatum show and, like, it was, like, elite role players next to them instead of, you know, Jalen and Tatum. And now... You know, they're losing some of their field goal attempts because Kemba's there. Um, but yeah, Jalen's my good surprise of the season. And I don't want to do, like, you know, 10 good and 10 bad players already. You know, I just want to keep this podcast to just one good one good surprise, one bad surprise from players, and one you know, surprise team and one, um, one, one surprise good team and one surprise bad team. So one surprise, I guess, bad team is the Toronto Raptors. And you know, I'm I'm from Toronto, but I'm not I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a Toronto fan. Even though I like a lot of their players and I like Messiah a lot. So the Raptors last year went 53 and 19. And that would have been I think a pace of let me look this up real quick. Yeah, that would have been a 60 win pace. You know, they were 14th on offense, second on defense. They lost Mark and Serge. Uh, those were, like, the real key pieces that they lost. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, too, which I'm not sure that was a huge piece that they lost. 
Uh, but this year they're seventeenth on offense and eleventh on defense. And uh, to be fair to them, you know they started off two and eight, uh, and they've gone five and three since then. So maybe you know they're turning it around. And if you look at their losses, it's not it's not like they were just embarrassing themselves out here. You know they lost to the Spurs by five, seventy sixers at seventy sixers by seven, lost to the Pelicans by four. Lost to the Suns by eight. Lost to the Warriors and Blazers both by one. Lost to the Heat by nine. Uh, lost to the Bucks by seven. So it's not like they're just getting dominated out here. But, you know, their their offense, even last year, wasn't good. They were the number, I think they were the number one or two transition team. So, like, you know, they were the middle of the pack offense. And most of their best offense was coming in transition. That's... You know, never really that good. And if you look at their team just this year, I think everyone expected, uh, what's his name, OG to take, like, a big step, you know, turn into, like, that. You know, he got paid. He didn't get paid. He didn't get paid, like, an extreme amount. So it's not, like, if if OG stays the exact same player that he is and, uh I think that contract would still be fair just because he is he's still getting you like 12 to 15 points a night and he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and he can play 3-4 and like small ball 5 if you know, the other team doesn't have a center. So like he's still worth that money even if he never takes that like you know big scoring jump. Uh the other, you know, Fred's been really good. I I just, I, I think he's a really good player. Um Kyle just is never going to age. He's really good. Siakam, I think I'm going to talk about him next podcast about his drop-off. Uh, OG, OG hasn't he hasn't taken that big scoring step, but he is playing better than last year. Uh, Norman Powell, he hasn't, he hasn't having a efficient season so far. But the surprise for them is Chris Boucher, who's just turned into like a, probably one of the candidates for six-man and most improved. You know, if you look at his improvement, he's gone from he's gone from seven points and five rebounds in I think fourteen, thirteen minutes a night. And now he's averaging fourteen points, six rebounds, two and a half blocks, and twenty three minutes. His field goal's gone up from forty seven to fifty four percent. His three point you know, he's doubling his attempt and he's gone from thirty two to forty five percent. I don't know if that's real. I really don't, and if it is, you know, if he's if he's a thirty-eight to forty percent shooter, I think he's probably gonna get paid. It. Let me see if he already got paid. Actually, yeah, it looks like he already got paid a two-year. Looks like fourteen million. Yeah, so he he did get paid, but you know if that's that's real, I think his next contract's gonna be pretty huge too. How old is he? He's twenty. He's only twenty-eight. So yeah, he's only gonna be twenty-nine. When this contract finishes, and he's gonna be in line for a big paycheck. Uh, the only thing with him is he's he's a center, but he's only six nine and two hundred pounds. I wonder. I, and I'm not sure just exactly how good his perimeter defense is, because I I don't know why he can't play like a Giannis role, where he's like the power forward and like the weak side help defender. You know I think. He would still get bullied because he has only two hundred pounds, but it's just it's just one of those things where I think you can put him 
on the floor as like a power forward and you know he can just be guarding the other team's the other team's worst defender worst offensive player and you know just be like that weak side help defender because he is an elite shot blocker but you know back to the raptors i think you know even when they lost mark and ibaka like those weren't like they were losses for sure but it wasn't it wasn't i didn't think it would be this big of a difference and uh, apparently it is apparently it is and uh, i guess because aaron baines and uh, well, they got Alex Lynn. I think they just released him because he wasn't playing well. But Aaron Baines, you know, there was a lot of hype for him last year when he started with um, uh, the Suns. You know, DeAndre Ayton got suspended for the steroids. You know, Aaron Baines stepped in and he played really well. But this year, you know, he started 15 games. He's only playing 17 minutes a night, shooting 39% from the field, shooting 24% from three. And he hasn't attempted a single free throw this way. Let me look this up. Aaron Bain. Yeah, zero for zero at the line. What the fuck? How much was he getting to the line last year? All right, last year he got to the line two times a game. That's pretty shocking. Like, zero attempts so far? Oh. Yeah, he hasn't played well at all. And I'm not really... I, I think this team is probably going to be a 500 team. And I'm just not sure. I think it's interesting because you, do you want to be a 500 team? Because you know what they say in the NBA is like that's the worst place to be because you're not you're not going anywhere with a 500 team, and you're not getting a draft lottery pick. So you know they have a couple of options of like should we trade Lowry? Should we trade you know Powell? Uh, you know sell high on Boucher? Uh, you know trade some other player too. Or they could be like the Miami Heat or like the Rockets uh, in like the early two, not early two thousand. Pretty much ever since they had Daryl Morey, because he was a big. We're not just we're not gonna tank, and the Heat are a big. We're not gonna tank. You know we're gonna we're gonna play hard. We're gonna establish Heat culture, and um, you know because of that, you know some some star superstar is gonna look at us. And be like, you know, that's a team that I want to join. So maybe maybe the Raptors are like, hey, you know, we have three core guys. You know, we have Fred, we have OG, we have Siakam. And uh, I think that's a good core of players to have. You know, we have Nick Nurse, so we have a great coach. And uh, I think we can just keep cranking out, you know, 30, like 40 wins. 40 to 48 wins, you know, when it's a regular season of, like, 82 games. And maybe some player is going to look at us and be like, hey, you know what, I want to join that. Or maybe, you know, they, they do a really good job of hitting on the late lottery picks and maybe they can just get, like, a another player like that. Um, not the late lottery, just the late draft picks. Um, like, Siakam was, I think, 27. Uh, OG was 18th, I believe. What was he, 23rd? So, like, the late... Yeah, like, the dra- late draft picks have been really good at the SMA. Uh, so they can get something from that, maybe. If I were them, though, I would I would ask Lowry what... How he feels... Like, if he says, I want to stay, then I just keep it as it is. But if he says, yeah, you know, I might be looking for a trade, you know, 
maybe I want to go on like a contender and you know compete for a championship. Uh, then I think I have to consider it. And I think a place that would be really you know fun to see him would be uh, Denver. I think him next to Murray, uh, him next to Jokic. I think that could be really fun. And if you're the Raptors, you know you can get a first round pick from them, and you know trade just whatever like filler like. Will Barton and Gary Harris, I think, would make it up. Um, so you get another first-round pick, and, you know, you're good at drafting. You're good at scouting. Uh, so you have your own pick and that pick. Um, what other team could use them? Like, I think... Uh, let's see. I think the Clippers could use them, but I just don't know if Raptors fans... I think Raptors fans would fucking die seeing Lowry, Kawhi, and Ibaka there. So I don't think they would do that. Uh, another team that could use them... Hmm. That's interesting. It's going through the ro- I think Chicago could use them, but they they seem to like Kobe, so I'm not sure. Um, maybe New Orleans actually. Like, maybe maybe try getting like another young player like Lonzo from them. You know, Lonzo's stock is like pretty low right now. Uh, even though he's not like he's not playing great, but I think. I think the shooting will come back, and he's still only 23, so you get, like, another core player like that. And, you know, you can... He's on his last year, so you can pay him, like, a a decent amount and not, like, overpay for him. So, like, for Lonzo and, like, I don't know, J.J. Redick maybe, and uh, one other player from them and, like, a pick because they have all the picks. Maybe you can even get two picks. And for the Pelicans, you know, they get... Uh, a vet that that can actually shoot, a point guard that can actually shoot, like they know they can shoot, and just someone that can run the offense. And um, what I'm expecting from this Raptors team, let's just look at their top, their next ten games real quick, and see if they can climb up the. Okay, they can climb up the standings. So they got the Kings, Magic, Magic. I'm gonna say they go three and zero there. Nets, Hawks, Grizzlies, Washington, Boston. Ooh, this is not an easy roster. This is not an easy schedule. Hold up. What is going on here? Why is this... Why is it on basketball reference? Their schedule only till March 4th. That would only be, like, 30 games. I don't know why. Maybe, I guess, they haven't announced it with all, like, the postponements and stuff. So, they maybe after the All-Star break, they want to... That's when they're going to release the second half. I don't know. That's strange. But, yeah, my expectations for them are... I think they'll they'll be in the playing tournament. And I'm not sure if that's what they want to do. I really don't. Uh, who who has looked good for them though? I I have like um, what's his name, uh, Yota Watanabe. You know he he doesn't play a lot of minutes and you know he's not shooting the he's not finishing well. He's shooting the three all right, but I just like I like his hustle. He just looks like a guy that who's playing with a lot of energy and the game's really fast for him right now. But I think once the game slows down and he's playing confidently and like he feels like he belongs out there I think he's gonna be a good rotation piece um so yeah you know the the 
it's really surprising because if you look at since um, Masai's been there, they've always overachieved on their over-unders. Uh, this year, their over-under was 42 and a half wins. And I think I had them right at 42, maybe 42 or 43 wins when I was doing my preseason predictions, you know, an episode that never got posted. Just because it was taking so it's taking me so long to do it. And, um, yeah, so last year their, their over-under was 46 and a half. You know, they went 53 and 19, and that was with a shortened season. The season before that was 55 and a half, and they won 58 games. Uh, the year before that, it was 48 and a half. They won 59 games. The year before that, it was 50 and a half. They won 51 games. The year before that, it was 46 and a half. They won 56 games. The year before that, it was 48 and a half. They won 49 games. The year before that, it was 35 and a half. They won 48 games. And uh, yeah, that that's all of uh, Messiah's run there. And like I said, this year their over under was 42 and a half, 42 and a half, which would have been, let me see, the equivalent of what? 42 and a half. Yeah, it would have been the equivalent of 48 wins, which I guess seems fair because I guess, you know, Ibaka and Mark, I guess, do make that big of a difference. And Lowry getting older. And I think a lot of people, even in like the bubble in the second half of the season, saw, you know, Siakam being figured out. And, uh, you know, I was gonna, you know, I was going to do this on the next episode, so I'll just talk about Siakam right now, actually. And so Siakam has gone from, I think he was All-NBA second team last year. And the debate between, you know, who's better, uh, Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum. And I never, I think by the end of the season, I don't think it was close on who's better between the two. It was Jason Tatum in like a landslide. You know, Siakam started off the season incredible. Like, he was playing, like, a top 10, top 15 player. But if you looked at his stats after, like, it definitely looked like, you know, he had slowed down. Let me just, let me look at his stats from the first, like, 20 games. Then after that, real quick. So the first, uh, let's see. All right, okay. So this first 19 games, he was 26 a night. Eight rebounds, four assists, shooting 47-39-81. 47-39-81. After that, let me look this up real quick. Yeah, after that, he was 22 points a night, seven rebounds, three assists. He was shooting 44%, 34%, 78%. That's the last 41 games. So he was good for the first half of the season. And then after that, he was pretty... He was good. He was still good. Like, those are good numbers. And he was still a good player. But you can see that he wasn't the guy he was in the beginning of the season. But And if you look at Tatum, it was the exact opposite for him. Like, he, he had a brutal start to the start to the season. And it was, it was the type of start where you knew he was going to turn it around just because he was finishing at the rim horribly. Like he was, I think he started the season off like forty-five percent from at the rim, so you knew that was something that was going to turn around. And yeah, so Siakam made All NBA second team last year, and this year he's playing more minutes. 
Uh, yeah, he's playing more minutes. He's averaging less points. You know, he went from 23 to 18. He's getting more rebounds and assists. Um, a little bit more turnovers, but that's fine. You know, he's getting more assists. Uh, he's getting to the line four times. Last year, he got there 5.1 times. Uh, he's shooting worse from the field, worse from three. Only 25% from three. That looks like, that just seems like something that's going to turn around. And he just doesn't look like he he's confident in his go-to moves. And because of that, I feel like Lowry and Fred have had to do a lot more. And if you look at his true shooting, it's gone like two years ago with a 0.628. Last year was a 0.554, and this year it's a 0.516. And let's just look at his shot distribution, how how that's changed. Yeah. So okay. Firstly, two years ago when they won the won they won the championship, he was his average distance from. Uh, his shot attempts were 8.7 feet. Last year, they were 12.7 feet. This year, they're 15.1 feet. So he's taking a lot of jumpers. Uh, his field goal attempts by distance. Uh, so two years ago, when they won the championship, 70% of his shots came uh, in the paint. This year, it's at 49. So it's a 21% difference right there. Uh he was taking only he's taking so many mid-range shots holy shit so last last season he took 15% mid-range shots this year he's at 32% and he's taking less threes as well and he's actually making a good percentage from mid-range so that's I've, I, I never mind the mid-range if you're making it at a good percentage but his three-point shooting has gone way down uh, and they're not assisting him on many of his two-point attempts now you know, he's only being assisted on 32% as opposed to 42 last year, uh, 50% the year before that, which isn't always a bad thing because creating for yourself is a pretty, uh, it's a useful skill and a good skill to have. But if it's if you're not good at it, if you're not great at it, then it's not a value to your team. Um, I think... You know, he's got a negative... He's a negative 2.2 when he's on the court. It's a negative uh, 6.8 on-off. And, uh, yeah, you know, he looks like... You know, last year he last year he looked like someone that ideally should be your second best player on a championship team. And this year he looks like he's probably not even going to make the all-star team. And it would be completely fair... For him not to make it um you know he now he looks like he should ideally be like your third guy you know playing behind a superstar and a star um you know his best role seems to be what it was in um 2019 where he's taking only 12 shots a game you know running the floor getting you know playing good good to great defense uh running the floor you know spotting up for open threes not not having to create you know pretty much ever you know a lot of just transition buckets and things like that he doesn't seem to be like he's a guy you can just give the ball to and be like yeah go go score for us and i think that 
you know, that's that's really hurt them this year because, you know, once you lose Mark and Ibaka and, you know, you're relying a lot more on the guys that you do have and Siakam just has not been able to carry them or not even carry them, just be good. Like, Fred is good. Larry is good. And uh, OG is good, even though... Yeah, OG is good. OG is good. Uh, Powell, I think he's going to start playing better soon. Um, but Siakam has not been good. And that's I think he's probably been the fourth best player this year. You know, I think it's been Fred, Lowry, OG. Uh, actually, he might, he might be even like the fifth best player so far this year. You know, I would go Fred, Lowry, OG. Uh, Boucher, I think, has to be up there. And then Siakam. And, like, if Siakam is playing like your fifth best player something's gone wrong and uh, you know that kind of explains the Raptors this year um, it'll be interesting to see what they do if they end up trading or you know they play the season out and like go for like the playing tournament and yeah that's the surprise bad team uh, the surprise good team I'm gonna go with the Utah Jazz uh, Utah last year you know, they're playing how a lot of teams, how a lot, not a teams, how a lot of people thought they would last year when they got Boyan and uh, Mike Conley. You know, Mike had a pretty up and down season. He was pretty good in the bubble, but for the season, he was only 14 points, you know, three rebounds, four assists. That's not Mike Conley. Only shot 41% from the field. Um, you know, his true shooting was a point five three seven. Uh, you know, he just didn't have a good season. And uh, Boyan, Boyan was actually really good last season, and interestingly enough, he's not having a good season this year. But they're winning, so you know he has time to improve that. Uh, one of the big problems that they had last year was the drop-off when uh, Rudy Gobert went off the floor. If you look at their bigs, it was Tony Bradley and Ed Davis. I think I think I, I think they let go of Ed Davis. Yeah, they did. Uh, so it was mostly Tony Bradley. And so Rudy was a plus 5.9. His on-off was the best on the team, plus 10.9. And when he met, when Tony Bradley got in the game, he was a negative 1.3, a negative 4.4. So they just didn't have anyone to... So that when Rudy Gobert went off the floor, that could, like, just hold the fort. Uh, you know, give them a good... 12 to 18 minutes a night and this year <clears throat> and so they they got back Derek Favors this year and you know Rudy's killing it again you know he's got well you know he's a big uh, his on court's really good but you know they have Derek Favors now and he Derek Favors has a plus 2.2 uh, on court so they're not getting killed in those minutes that uh, Rudy Gobert's sitting uh, Donovan's, uh, he's improved a little bit. You know, his playmaking's gotten a little bit better. Um, he, he's shooting more threes, which I do like. Uh, Royce O'Neal's really good. Um, Boy, Boyan, like I said, he's not having a good season at all. He's only shooting 37 from the field, 36.5 from three. The reason that they're doing so well is because, uh, I would say of two reasons. Actually, three. Number one, Rudy Gobert. Last year he didn't look, he didn't look great, you know. And he didn't 
great's not the right word. He didn't look like himself. You know, he looked like something had been bothering him that, you know, his his reaction was 0.5 seconds late. And, uh, you know, usually he's perfect. And so, like, if you look at the Jazz since Rudy Gobert, uh, let me just look this up real quick. Since he became their starter, when did when was that? So 2016. This is the Jazz defense since Rudy Gobert took over as the starting center. Seventh, third, second, second, and last year was 13th. And that's you know that's the year where you know it didn't look like Rudy was himself. You know he was moving a little bit slower, um, and this year. You know, he looks like himself, and they're fourth now. So that's one of the reasons that they're playing really well. Secondly, uh, Jordan Clarkson. You know, last year they didn't have a lot of bench scoring punch. You know, they had Ingles off the bench like they do this year. But Ingles, he's like a Andre Iguodala, where he's extremely valuable off the bench. But sometimes you just need a guy who's just going to get a bucket. Like, get buckets. And Jordan Clarkson, he's giving them 18 points a night. You know, he's not looking to pass. He's shooting really well from three. He's taking a lot from three. Like, he's taking 14 shots. Eight of them are three. He's making 39% of them. And, uh, you know, he's been really good for them. Um, And lastly, I think this is probably the most important. Mike Conley is playing like Mike Conley again. Uh, He's averaging 17 points, four rebounds, six assists. You know, steal and a half a game. He's shooting 46%, 42 from three. And, uh, you know, he's got a point five nine six true shooting. I would say if you're asking who's been better between Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, I would say this season it's been Mike Conley. Mike Conley's been a little to, I don't want to say a lot, but he has he's definitely been better than Mitchell this year. You know, the raw numbers are probably a little close, even though Mitchell scores so much. But he does take, you know, a lot more shots. He takes eight more shots. Um, but Donovan, uh, I mean, um, Mike Conley, he's averaging six assists and only two turnovers a game. That's a great ratio. You look at uh, Donovan, he's averaging 4.9 assists and 3.1 turnovers a game. Um so yeah, the Jazz are playing really well. They're fourteen and four. Yeah, number one in the Western Conference. I think they're number one in the league. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're number one in the league. Um, they're playing really well. They're top five on offense and defense, and that's with, uh, like I said, Boyan Boyan just not playing well at all. Like he's only he's only averaging thirteen points a game, shooting really poorly, and. Um, you know, last season, last two years actually, uh, he's averaged 19 points, I believe. Yeah, last two seasons he's averaged 19 points, shooting 47%, 42 from three, and 85 at the line. Getting to the line four times a game. This year he's only getting to the line 2.6 times. And if you look at his shot distribution, it's it's changed a lot since his last Indiana season to now. So it does look like something... Uh, that he can improve on and that we can expect to improve. Because if you look at his percentage at the rim, last two seasons he's made 68%. Let me look this up. Yeah, 68% at the rim. This year he's at 53%. So 
So he, for some reason, he's not finishing at the rim as well. And uh, other than that, like, it's just a three-point shooting, which you expect him, uh, you expect that to rise up because the last, I believe, how many years is this now? Four years? Yeah, the last four four years, he's shot 40% from three on pretty high volume. And even for his career, he's 39%. Uh, so you expect that to rise, and uh, they're number one in the league with no one playing. Well, I guess Jordan Clarkson you could consider as playing out of his mind, but you know Donovan's not playing at an unreasonable level. He's playing well. Uh, you might be able to say I guess Royce O'Neal is shooting like really well from three. That can't. That might not be sustainable. But, you know, he's actually a good three-point shooter, too. He's just not a volume three-point shooter. He takes, like, the most wide-open three, so that's why maybe his three is up. So you can say maybe he's shooting, you know, 4% higher than he normally would. Uh, Gobert's playing at, his, at a reasonable level that you can see him maintaining. Mike Conley also he's playing at a level you can see him maintaining. Angles as well, favors as well. And... Um, the only person that's not is playing poorly, and that's Boyan. And uh, if he gets back to his level, I think this is going to be a team that I don't think you can sleep on them. Like they might be like Denver from last year, where if you sleep on them, they will beat you. You know, if the if like they face the Clippers and the Clippers, like we got this, like they will beat you. Um, and you know, it's been a really it's been a surprising good shot because I think a lot of people saw um, Mike Conley last year and thought, okay, so if he's playing like that last year, what's he going to play like this year? You know, maybe, you know, expecting another drop-off. And he's playing excellent. You know, he just looks so much more comfortable out there. His playmaking is back. And, um, you know, they have, let me count how many guys, one, two, three, four. Uh, five, six, six guys averaging double figures. And, you know, they're my good shock, good shocking team for the season. Um, I only wanted to keep it to two players and two teams just because I think if I did, like, ten players and ten teams, I think, you know, we don't have enough of a sample size of it. And uh, so I just wanted to keep it to just two teams and two players. Uh the other thing, I, another thing, I guess I wanted to talk about was, you know, we had the TikTok busted challenge, and now we have the silhouette challenge, and I just want to say, you know, how grateful I am that it, these challenges exist. Um, you know, I've already watched. You know, I've already canceled. You know, the week from work just to watch them, and um, I think the I only. Like for the Buster Challenge, I liked I liked the song. I think it made sense. I don't like the song for this challenge, and you know I've already seen like variations of the videos where you know women are using different songs, and uh, I wish it was something like Prince on the background. And you know I'm just not a fan of the song. I'm still enjoying all the challenge videos. I just wish it was a different song. And uh, I'm really praying that we just get more and more and more and more of these type of challenges throughout the year. You know, I think uh, they're good for morale after what we suffered all of last year. 
And um, I just want to thank all the women participating in it. Um, very thankful, very grateful. Took me.